Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Hello, and thank you for checking out the Health Connect South Radio Show. I'm C.W. Hall, your host, and this week on the show, we feature two not-for-profit organizations from the Atlanta area that are playing a key role in helping Atlanta achieve its potential to be recognized as a center for excellence in healthcare innovation, particularly in technology and device development. When you look at the academic institutions that we have featuring engineering and technology and healthcare and health sciences, several reputable colleges of business, it's clear we have plenty of academic talent at our fingertips here. Here in the Atlanta area and Southeast. Coupled with that, from a leadership perspective, Atlanta and the Southeast play home to a huge collection of very successful healthcare experts who have navigated a number of different companies from back of napkin design through to wildly successful patient solutions that are changing the way in many cases that healthcare is delivered. We've got easy access to one of the busiest airports in the world. And in our discussion, we get into the fact that one of the last remaining pieces that we have to solve to help really take Atlanta over the top and become one of those centers of excellence for healthcare innovation is to have yet a broader base of all levels of investor funding to take some of these concepts through to their execution in a faster timeline. We sat down with experts on the subject, Tiff Wilson, Executive Director for the Global Center for Medical Innovation, and Andrew Stevenson, Executive Director for T3 Labs. These two not-for-profit organizations collaborate very closely with healthcare innovation organizations trying to design and develop a variety of device and technology solutions. Here's Tiff explaining what the Global Center for Medical Innovation is and why they do what they do. Historically, Dr. at Emory comes up with an idea for a great new medical device, not really sure where to go next. They end up in Boston, Minneapolis, Bay Area, Orange County, tap into those really robust ecosystems and, and don't come back. So the thinking was that if we had a physical place that just focused on med tech with all the engineers quality systems, clean room space, machine tools, that people knew they could go there for their design, engineering, and prototyping help, but then build out and really bring together an already existing ecosystem around that. So when I say that, I mean all the service providers involved in getting something from concept to patient. And T3 Labs is an integral part of that. So what we've done is developed a close collaboration between GCMI and T3, where we can do a lot of the product development work and use T3 on the front end input, clinical input there, and then all the way through preclinical studies through FDA. But we've developed a great network of the best and brightest in intellectual property, corporate law, regulatory reimbursement, different kinds of engineers where we can't be all things to all people within GCMI with our small team, but we can put the pieces together for folks. And so as a med tech entrepreneur, it's really hard to navigate that space. And so we're trying to make that process more efficient for them. It is one unifying thing of everybody in this industry. When you speak to them, fundamentally what drives us every day is the opportunity to positively impact patient care. And so that is the common theme. But from what we do, what Andrew and I do every day, that's at the bottom line. 
line, but from an organizational mission standpoint too, we're always looking at how do we make this process more efficient so we can get those technologies to market, so we can see successful startups, so we can see job growth in the region and more investment in the region. Stick around for the full interview with Tiff Wilson and Andrew Stevenson coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South radio show. Episode number 40. Been here for a while now. Time flies when you're having so much fun, right? Th- that's right. That's Diana Keogh of Sherwick Media Group. If you're not familiar with them, they're a health and wellness information content generating company. They produce information for companies and healthcare organizations, other news outlets, producing content for them to distribute across all media platforms, mm-hmm. video, digital, print, television, um, th- radio. That's right. And they've supported a number of initiatives that many people would be familiar with, like the Power Up for 30 with Georgia Shape and, of course, supporting the Health Connect South events and so forth. So if you're not familiar with their work, go over to sharewick.com and check out what they do because they can help you tell your story for sure. And we certainly appreciated them partnering with us to make this show possible. And coming up November 10th, Health Connect South has an event going on in Durham, North Carolina. It's the Game Changer of Health Precision Medicine, Tuesday, November 10th at the NC Biotech Center. Center in Durham, North Carolina. The panel will discuss the challenges and the future of precision medicine. You can register at the website healthconnectsouth.com and then if you use the code RADIOX, you'll get a 20% discount on your registration fee. So make sure you get over and check that out. And then of course today in the studio, we're going to be talking about a couple of not-for-profit organizations here in the metro area that are collaborating to support the innovation in the healthcare space, particularly in medical devices and technology, helping them go from concept to commercialized execution. And we're really appreciative of the guests joining us in the studio. We've got the executive director for the Global Center for Medical Innovation, Tiff Wilson, joining us in the studio. Thank you. And then we've got her colleague, Andrew Stevenson. He's the executive director for T3 Labs, and they go hand in hand in in the work that they do, both from uh, incubation and testing to help these companies do what they do. So thanks for taking some time. Great to be here. We can start with you, Tiff, because from what I understand, GCMI is essentially the front door through which all of this flows, and then there's a number of organizations such as T3 that fold into that and collaborate with you and, and kind of help make this process flow. If you would, introduce us to the concept of GCMI real quick, and then we can kind of back up and talk yeah. about how you, yeah. how you managed so to get to where you are here. We're a nonprofit startup, 501c3, opened our doors in April 2012. We were founded really to address a gap, not only in Atlanta, but across the Southeast region where we see a lot of medical technology innovations coming out of our academic institutions, healthcare systems, but not a big startup med tech industry here and kind of digging into that a little bit. We found that people know how to innovate, but not so much on the commercialization front. And they're kind of two different animals. Historically, Dr. at Emory comes up with an idea for a great new medical device, not really sure where to go next. They end up in Boston, Minneapolis, Bay Area, Orange County, tap into those really robust ecosystems and, and don't come back. So the thinking was that if we had a physical place that just focused on med tech with all the engineers engineers, quality systems, clean room space, machine tools, that people knew they could go there for their design, engineering, and prototyping help, but then build out and really bring together an already existing ecosystem around that. So when I say that, I mean all the service providers involved in getting something from concept to patient. And T3 Labs is an integral part of that. So what we've done is developed a close collaboration between GCMI and T3 where we can do a lot of the product 
product development work and use T3 on the front end, input, clinical input there, and then all the way through preclinical studies through FDA. But we've developed a great network of the best and brightest in intellectual property, corporate law, regulatory reimbursement, different kinds of engineers where we can't be all things to all people within GCMI with our small team, but we can put the pieces together for folks. And so as a med tech entrepreneur, it's really hard to navigate that space. And so we're trying to make that process more efficient for them. Great concept, much needed, but what's in it for you? What's in it for your organization? Our mission is to really help accelerate medical device development. Our initial funding came from the U.S. Department of Commerce. We won something called an I-6 Challenge Grant. It's a federal grant focused on promoting proof-of-concept centers that promote innovation and entrepreneurship. We want to see more startups. We want to see more jobs. And so for us, in our organization, we're passionate about seeing, helping other med tech entrepreneurs get to the next level. And, and we want to see more startups spinning out, more jobs, more investments, not only in Atlanta, but across the Southeast region. And is there any state help at all? Or, I mean, where is yeah, so, the majority of the so funding coming from? Um, we, we did the I-6 challenge and then another grant from the Economic Development Administration, which is part of Department of Commerce, gave a grant to build out our facility. And then the Georgia Research Alliance, which is a public-private partnership, um, gave a generous grant for our equipment. And so with it was a little over $3 million that we started with mm -hmm. to build the facility, put equipment in it, and start it. And so we've got a team of four biomedical engineers. Our head of product development came from 20 years in the medical device industry. We've got two biomedical engineers from Georgia Tech that are also machinists. So they're really smart guys who can do the math, but they can make stuff too. And we make a lot of stuff there. Another BME who's our quality engineer. We've got a FDA compliant quality system. And then we recently had a physician join our team who decided he didn't want to practice medicine anymore, really interested in device design. So he's an integral part of communicating between the clinical community and the engineering community. He speaks doctor. He speaks doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of people don't realize how interested the state is in actually developing jobs. So, I mean, the bottom line here is really job It's jobs. Yeah. It is one unifying thing of everybody in this industry. When you speak to them, fundamentally what drives us every day is the opportunity to positively impact patient care. And so that is the common theme. But from what we do, what Andrew and I do every day, that's at the bottom line. But from an organizational mission standpoint, too, we're always looking at how do we make this process more efficient so we can get those technologies to market, so we can see successful startups so we can see job growth in the region and more investment in the region. When I started becoming active in this whole entrepreneurial community here in, in Atlanta and Georgia, um, I mean, it's the market or even the whole ecosystem um, was much smaller. Mm -hmm. And in the last five five years. There's yep. really been, you know, tremendous growth. Tremendous growth. So it's exciting. The yeah, what do you attribute that to? So um, what I've seen with the investment in GCMI is kind of a hub to start bringing all of these pieces together. And so that's where, you know, I've spent a lot of my time over the past few years focused on that. And then, you know, as part of that, really tapping into the Southeastern Medical Device Association and that vast ecosystem that's already there, um, working with T3, connecting with Health Connect South, and really bringing all these people together. I think historically for better or worse, we're, we've been very siloed in Atlanta. Everybody likes to go do their own thing. 
And finally, you know, it, it, I mean, it's kind of the bitter truth, but it takes a lot of collaboration to make this successful. Mm-hmm. And I think people um, are really starting to realize that and let those barriers down a little bit and starting to collaborate and cooperate a little bit more. Um, and, and not elbow their way through. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. It's just, you don't hear as much that um, there's not money available in Atlanta mm-hmm. and that I have to go to, you know, San Francisco or Silicon Valley to actually get funded for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the difference when you started to now, are you finding that funding is an issue or how does that change? It's still a big issue, but it's getting better. So like Georgia Bio just launched the Biomed Investor Network. Um, and so in Atlanta, there's a lot of money here, uh, a lot of angel money, a lot of family foundation money. Uh, but they invest in real estate and software and other IT things. And, you know, the medical device space is so complicated that people just aren't uncom- uh, are uncomfortable investing in that asset class unless they have someone to follow. Uh, but now with some of the successful exits of, um, you know, companies and entrepreneurs here who, out of the med tech space, out of life sciences, they're the thought leaders, if you will, that other investors who are kind of interested in getting involved in med tech and they can identify and follow those investments. So, well, give me an example. If I'm a entrepreneur, even a doctor in the sur- um, surgery that has an idea for a device, walk me through the process. Um, so I'll use Emory as an example because the it's there are more opportunities to, for early stage funding if you're part of a university. It's not as complicated. So um, they would come to GCMI um, and say, look, this is the, the problem that I'm having in the clinic. This is my thought or my idea on how to address it. Um, we would brainstorm with them around that and see if we could kind of start to nail down a, a direction. A lot of times doctors think they know how to solve a problem from an engineering perspective, but it really takes a doctor and an engineer working closely together. Um, so we'll get a, um, a patent int- attorney involved relatively early to do kind of a landscape assessment, see what competitive technologies are out there, um, c- kind of connect them through some resources who can engage them in a customer discovery process. So just because it's your clinical problem doesn't mean that it's everybody's clinical problem. So just trying to validate um, that that exists. Mm -hmm. And then there are um, certain mechanisms through um, the Georgia Research Alliance, through the Coulter Foundation, uh, which is a program at Georgia Tech and Emory that offers early stage funding um, for some of these ideas to get them through the proof of concept stage. So um, at a very early stage, once we, uh, let's say there's IP there, we know we can address the problem, we would bring in T3, we would bring in other regulatory consultants, um, other maybe experienced entrepreneurs in that area, and really build out a, um, a business case and a product development plan um, to get them all the way through the, the FDA perspective. And it's interesting, too, because um, this is really a old boys network, especially a, an old white boys. Yep. And you look nothing like that. Nope. So how, first of all, your background is so interesting. I'd love the listeners to know, you know, how did a nice girl like you end up doing what you're doing? 
So, so yeah, most people that you meet in the med tech industry come at it from a science, they're a scientist or an engineer, um, or from a sales perspective. Um, I started my career in investment banking and management consulting. Um, uh, coming out of business school, I was raising money, uh, working with a little investment bank in Washington, D.C., raising money for a tissue engineering startup out of Boston. And uh, I was really looking uh, to get more operational experience, um, hands-on experience in that. And so there was an opportunity once we closed on the Series A to join the management team of that company. And the name of the company is Acel. They're based in Columbia, Maryland now. And um, I was in a preclinical study out in Indiana at Purdue and um, got to go into the procedure. And surgeon was there doing a surgery. And it was like I my heart leaped out of my chest. It was like that falling in love kind of feeling. I was like, I had found my spot and I had chickened out of um, pre-med and undergrad and really kind of forgot about science and medicine. But all of a sudden, you know, the neat thing about med tech is it's this great intersection between, you know, of government, business, science, and medicine. And so all these different players you get to interact with and work with. So, um, that, that was kind of the kickoff, and, and it was my crash course in medical device development. So I did that company for six and a half years, um, working to bring it from the preclinical studies all the way through multiple FDA clearances into the first in human. And then I... Um, you know, you get to wear all the little all the hats in a startup. So from regulatory filings to interacting with investors to setting up a manufacturing facility and quality systems and fighting a patent litigation lawsuit and <laughs> and all that stuff. So you know, it's not without uh, it's not for the faint of heart. So I left um, that company and did another startup here in Atlanta for a few years. It was a different therapeutic area, different kind of device, different commercialization strategy. And um, that company went back into clinical trials. And about that same time, I had heard of GCMI <clears throat> being in, it being funded and really saw an opportunity. Like, I got it. Had I had access to um, GCMI back in 2002, we could have gone so much faster. We would have um, avoided so many mistakes that entrepreneurs make just over and over and over again first timers, second timers in that space. So I really saw an opportunity to get involved and um, build out an ecosystem to help other med tech innovators and entrepreneurs be successful. We've been talking with Executive Director for the Global Center for Medical Innovation, Tiff Wilson, joining us in the studio, sharing information about how she got to where she is here with uh, the Center for Medical Innovation, in, innovation and, and the kind of the process that kind of pulled you in watching the the devices go from concept to being available to the general public and you you talked about the fact that it can be a years-long process before they you know from concept to being able to be commercialized how how, how does this process here when they get involved with uh, GCMI and and T3 and the, and the various components how are you able to compress that down because you mentioned the fact mm -hmm. that had you had access to resources like this years ago, one of those earlier projects, where, where do you find that you end up saving those innovators the time? Yeah, so I call them $1,000 days. Um, we've been talking about it internally where, let's say you raise a pot of money and every day that you're not moving your project forward and you're not 
commercializing, you're burning through. It's it's actually more, but thousand was pretty mm-hmm. easy. That allows you to, to sleep with. at night, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, and so you think back, and and so one example was um, infrastructure, clean room space. And no investor is going to give you money to build your widget in a clean room if you need to until you've proven clinical and commercial viability. You can't do that until you've manufactured in a clean room with all the relevant quality systems. If you're small and you only need to make, say, a couple hundred devices for an early trial, it's very hard to find that space really anywhere. And you can work with big contract manufacturers, um, but they want larger contracts, long-term stuff, they're hard to find. And so just the time you spend trying to find those resources, those are $1,000 days. And you could spend, you know, spending three weeks trying to find the right regulatory consultant advisors or get certain questions answered at FDA or, you know, on the preclinical front, you know, how much do those studies cost? Um, How should I plan for it? How do I communicate to my investors. And so all of that just adds up over time. So if someone can come in and we've got those, you know, the ecosystem development is something that I do every single day. And if we can take out thousand dollar days out of that system and really connect people quickly with the resources that they need at the right time, um, we've been able to make that go really fast, a lot faster. And so since GCMI's inception, We've done that really well um, in the day-to-day front. Really, over the past year, we've been working closely with T3 to, you know, bring them in earlier in the process um, and have them have insight during our product development process as well. And so, how do doctors actually find you? I mean, are you marketing? I mean, how do they find you? So we've been we've pretty much grown word of mouth. Uh, to date, and we've been cautious um, early on. I, I did not want to go out and kind of, you know, shout from the rooftops that we were there until we really had some good experience saying that we can do what we said we can do. Uh, and so we've really been um, kind of under the radar, focused on some some key projects with some key innovators in the community. Uh, and, and it is a word of mouth type. Um, uh, business, you know, I, I had conversations with some doctors early on saying, hey, you know, what are some avenues where we could get the word out? And they're like, honestly, if you can just work with a couple of key people and, and have some success, other doctors are going to want to follow on. And that's been the case. And I'm sure they're talking about it in the break room. Yeah. Right. So what's the screening process? Is it pretty arduous? No. Um, so the, the biggest thing to work with us is there has to be some level of funding. So you're either paying out of your pocket, uh, your own pocket, or have some early stage investors or some grant dollars tend to be um, the type of folks that we've worked with. Um, usually someone will come, I'll spend 15, 30 minutes on the front end with someone to really understand what have they got. Um, where do they want to go? What level of funding do they have? You know, and really assess, do we have the capabilities? Um, do, do the resources exist in our networks to be helpful? A lot of times I'll send people back with homework. Uh, you know, we ask certain questions about market size and regulatory pathway, and it's, it's very clear that they have no idea what I'm talking about. There's a little bit more work that needs to be done, and so I'll send them off maybe with some other introductions and some things to read and things like that. 
generally speaking, I don't get the crazies anymore. Uh, <laughs> and and there there's should, there's, some, there's, there's should I ask you to depend no on that? no there's some doozies there's some doozies I'm developing and, a rocket ambulance maybe <laughs> maybe uh, and so we try and be very kind of thoughtful and um, and direct and honest with people you know I don't generally don't have a hard time telling people that their idea is not that great. Um, How do you do that? I mean, what do you what is it what what is the component that you're as you're sitting in front of this innovator so so if someone's working on something so um fda classifies medical devices there's class one class two class three Mm -hmm. class three devices are very risky they're very difficult to get funded very long timelines they all require in-depth clinical trials the investment community generally speaking shies away from that and so an example of a, a um heart valve or a stent technology or some kind of um, class three devices support and sustain human life. I got you. So if you're going to go down that pathway, the market better be huge. The the technology better be incredibly disruptive. Otherwise, there's just no chance you'll ever get funding for it. And so we'll have people come in and say, um, you know, yeah, I've been working. I've had this idea for years and years and years. And the market opportunity is, you know, $50 million. And it's a class three device it's high risk well the mar- 50 million dollar market is not enough of a market to really justify the investment in that device it's just not going to ever go anywhere so you either got to solve that problem in a different way or just pick something else but you'd be amazed at how long people hang on to their ideas I mean, years and years and years and their own personal funds and maintaining their patent and and things like that. And, they, and so they probably tell you that Thomas Edison did the same thing. Probably. <laughs> no, but I mean, and then there's just nothing I can help them with at that point. So I'll give them my feedback. And, you know, sometimes I'll bring in other people who um, other experienced entrepreneurs um, who have no tie to GCMI. But I know they'll give direct feedback as well. And uh, and, and that that works. They generally don't come come back after that. But if there's something there, you know, we'll do whatever we can to make those connections and make introductions for funding and and help them put that stuff together. And are usually speaking of funding, are you usually at the angel level, mm-hmm. PE or um, private equity or venture? Haven't seen any venture or PE really. Um, we've we've worked with clients who have been self-funded, um, have strategic funding. So where a, a big medical device com- company may be uh, investing at some level in there, um, a lot of angel. Uh, different grant funding, whether it's Georgia Research Alliance grants or um, Coulter grants or um, SBIR grants. And then do you have competition in this field as far as trying to grab these, grab is the wrong verb, but to help these companies? Yeah. I mean, so there are a handful of um, for-profit product development firms, um, industrial design groups, and, and things like that, um, machine shops. There's no one who really brings it all together under one roof. And the way we've kind of handled that is, um, so internal at GCMI, we've got a full product development um, process from that FDA will would follow all of the quality systems and that sort of thing. From a 
um, design, engineering, build standpoint, we're really good at proof of concept, fail fast type activities. We do a lot of 3D printing in-house, a lot of basic machining. But for high precision stuff, or if we need um, more robust uh, engineering or building experience, we've got a handful of people all around the community that will just leverage what they're doing. So we d- we try not to recreate uh, things, but build um, a process internally that helps things go fast while leveraging the, re- the other experts in the community. And then do you all take a, a piece of the company or a certain equity stock? Nothing. We really. don't. We don't take any IP. We don't take any equity. Uh, and the reason why is because, um, you know, we're here to help see more startups grow jobs see these technologies get to market faster and we don't want to tie up you know have a messy cap table or um or ip and so that's what happens when people get involved earlier and it positions them for later on when they are in discussions with the venture groups and pe and strategic investors um it just puts them in a sticky position and they got they always have to go back and renegotiate different things and we just want to keep it clean and simple so it is literally a nonprofit then it is um so the name with um global being in your name are you global or is it more georgia centric so we're um from a proactive standpoint we've taken a regional uh focus so um in collaboration you know or consistent with the southeastern medical device association and all the people in our network here um we touch the same people and we've done that because we can't prep market globally because we're just not big enough um but what we've done is uh, we host groups a lot, different tours from uh, we've hosted groups from uh, Central and South America and the Caribbean uh, through my network at Department of Commerce. Uh, we've hosted some folks from Ireland, from France, um, from Canada. And where the interest is there is as these companies um, in other countries so twofold. One, if there's companies there that want to commercialize in the U.S., which we're trying to position Atlanta and the region is a good jumping off point for them and kind of connecting them with our ecosystem so they can they know how to navigate FDA they know how to get to market Um, you know on the flip side too, building those relationships so if we've got companies that are ready to commercialize internationally we have a handful of people that we know we can call Um, but where there's been a lot of interest particularly in Central and South America it has been in just the innovation model and so how we're working to support university-based innovations and really getting involved to commercialize those those out and so there's a lot of um, knowledge sharing and brainstorming around you know how can we help others do similar things in their community and you had said that you bring in um, people that have been in that space to talk to the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. about kind of concepting and um, to talk them out of it if necessary. But do you actually help them build their management team as well? We can. And so um, it, it's particularly over the last 12 months, I get a lot of calls, just people looking for talent. Um, so at the undergraduate level, we have an apprentice program. Uh, it's essentially an internship program where startup companies are starting to call us and say, hey, you know, can you recommend any students from Georgia Tech that you work with? Do they have your stamp of approval to come help us out? <laughs> one of our startup companies that's been out of our incubator actually hired one of our apprentices. And so that's been really, um, really neat to see. And then we've been able to connect some 
successful entrepreneurs to start up companies who need executive leadership, whether it's interim CEO or kind of full-time fundraising and that sort of thing. And so there's no formal method to that. That's just me kind of, you know, with my... Being a nice guy. Yeah. With my email and my LinkedIn and picking up the phone. So give me a success story that you all have. So the, the, so there are two, um, our two favorite ones, really. It's been really rewarding to see over the past year. Um, so the first company is uh, Matrix Surgical. Uh, John O'Shaughnessy is their CEO. I met him uh, about four years ago, right before we were start, we were planning to open GCMI. And uh, John was a med tech executive from big industry, wanted to get involved in startups, uh, had an idea of what he wanted to do. He and uh, his partner came in and um, probably two weeks after we opened our doors and we prioritized our operations, our clean room, our um, quality systems around um, this company. And in two and a half years, they were able to uh, get multiple ISO audits, their CE mark in Europe, um, two uh, clearances from FDA, um, sales and distribution in the U.S. and Europe. And uh, they outgrew the capacity of our clean room space. Uh, they found their own space right by the airport. They do a lot of custom implants. So they, it, it's good for them to be right next to the airport. I, I want to say they have over 10 folks now. They built their own office space, machine shop, clean room space. Uh, we st- continue to help them with some quality system stuff, some prototyping um, and design, and then our apprentice program. And, you know, I, I sat down with John, I guess it was about a year ago when they moved out, and asked him, you know, what he would have done uh, had it not been for the existence of GCMI. And he's like, you know, I probably would have just gone to work for another big med tech company. It's like it's just too hard and too expensive to start these companies without the infrastructure that GCMI uh, provides. The other company, um, they they moved, spun out of our incubator in, I believe, June of this year. And that company, the name of it's Infant Labs. And uh, they make a did you guys talk to them? Just, uh, yeah, yeah. They're actually so, like, Lou Malice. They're, they're actually yeah. like roommates of mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Lou Malice and Tommy Cunningham. Yeah. And so I met Tommy uh, actually in D.C. at uh, the Advamed conference, and uh, and he we started talking, and so we helped Tommy from eleven month in eleven months go from a concept to a FDA five ten k submission. He met Lou at one of our speaker series events where oh, so you're to blame <laughs> Lou was uh, uh, he's Lou's fantastic and he was on one of our panels talking about concept development and analysis and he and Tommy hit it off and he really liked what he was doing and that that was that and so they were actually the company that ended up hiring one of our apprentices uh, full-time and then they moved over to the Biltmore so they could prepare for um, for scale up and uh, and they just got their 510 care they did. Clearance. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, they're doing really well. <laughs> yeah. So I had I had no idea that was the connection. That's yeah. Really so cool. it was um, stories like that, you know, has really have have demonstrated that the model works and, and we just need to continue to do more of it. And we learn every time how to make it better. Uh, but but it's been really fun to watch those guys. We've been talking with Tiff Wilson, executive director for the Global Center for Medical Innovation and learning about how they've been able to support a number of companies coming up. Tiff, how many companies are you able to 
work with at a given time. You talked about the clean room space. What exactly are we talking about with that? And, and you know, logistically, does it limit, you know, it sounds like there may yeah, be some, we from need a more. space perspective, we need there may more. be a limit. <laughs> we need more. And we'll expand. Um, we're, we're talking now about how we, how we expand and add additional capacity. So the whole incubator piece was not part of the original plan of GCMI, but so when Matrix came, came on, and then shortly thereafter, another company, Digital Vision Systems, came in, and they wanted to be there, too. And then Lou and Tommy wanted to be there as well. And, uh, you know, I had the additional space. Um, and so we just have kind of made that piece up as we go along and make it a little bit better every few months when we have a hiccup along the way. And so within the space, we can hold about six different companies uh, from other clients. I mean... At any given time, we could have between 15 and 20 different projects going on. It just depends on whether the size of it, how complex the device is. If it, is it a little basic mechanical device or is it some kind of complex electromechanical uh, system? So we have two class 10,000 clean room space uh, spaces. So basically anything that you're making that's implantable in the body uh, has to be made in that space. Uh, a couple of companies have had long-term access to that. Uh, Matrix Surgical was one. They were there for two and a half years. We've had other companies move in for a month where they just need to make a batch of something for a clinical trial, uh, and they, they'll come in, they'll just work around the clock in there, and then they'll get out. And so it is um, kind of first-come, first-serve basis, and but We'll try and be flexible based on, you know, if, if a long-term client maybe has a lag in production for a month and we can turn that around and help another company with it, we'll try and, and do that. Well, you brought with you Andrew Stevenson. He's the executive director for T3 Labs. We've mentioned them a number of times. You want to introduce us to the T3 team and, and kind of talk about where that fits into this whole picture that we're talking about as we help these companies go from concept to sure yeah t3 labs is also a contract research organization we've been uh, in atlanta for about uh going on 15 years now uh, i was originally founded by a group of physicians up in north atlanta and they they were looking for a playground and a proving ground for some of the ideas that they had some of the problems that they were looking to solve um uh, over the the coming years they eventually got industry funding built a lab in norcross and then in 2009, after acquisition of the local laboratory under a different name, uh, they were funded by about, uh, or uh, in 2009, they were purchased by uh, St. Joseph's Health System. And St. Joseph's Health System decided to put in $20 million to build a facility in Midtown Atlanta to expand that opportunity. Uh, in 2012, uh, then SJTRI, was acquired by a joint operating company that was formed between St. Joseph's Health System and Emory Healthcare. And so that's how we came to be where we are now. And as a contract research organization, what we do is we take medical devices, whether they be uh, concepts that were um, developed in GCMI or whether they come from major medical device manufacturers, Fortune 500 companies, the, the Medtronics, the Abbotts, the Boston Scientifics of the world, we take those and uh, we take their so-called test article and put those in our facility into a test system to determine whether or not it's safe and effective. And we do all this uh, within the compliance regime of the FDA and uh, Office of Laboratory Animal Welfare 
and uh, you know various other organizations that regulate all the things that we do. And the end goal of our stage of the value chain is to basically deliver data to prove whether or not something can be used in humans or further tested in clinical trials. And so you, you mentioned animals, so we're doing everything from animal to even some human testing as well in the, on the other end of it? Yeah, so preclinical testing encompasses a variety of activities, and that can be anywhere from the bench, uh, benchtop simulators, to uh, animal test systems, whether that be rodent all the way up to uh, cows, depending on the type of device, and then human cadavers. So any type of test system that you can use to prove whether or not the widget works, uh, to prove whether or not it's safe, and to prove whether or not it's better than the standard of care uh, is, is, what we, uh, is what we do on a daily basis with our customers, or our so-called sponsors. And what kind of time frame are we talking about there? How long does that happen on a given project for yeah, So you? Tiffany mentioned class one up to class three devices. So on a, you know, a device that's uh, you know, maybe second, third in class, where there's predicate, so-called predicate devices that are out there and exist, uh, the, the testing time frame can be short. Uh, we had a company, you know, two guys in a garage, typical story, <laughs> where they uh, walk in and they say, you know, I've got this idea, here's my product, we'll sit down, we'll have a conversation. We can run one study that's maybe 90 days, and lo and behold, two years later, they're on the market with, you know, 20 employees. Uh, we have other companies that come in, and because their devices say biodegradable, and that takes a very long time, if you put that into cardiovascular system, it can be four years before the study's over. So it really depends. It depends on the type of device. It depends on how big the program is. Um, it, it depends on a lot of factors. So they can actually approach you with backup of a napkin idea then? Uh, typically they come in with their widget. So okay. if, they have, if they've got, just got the napkin notes, they'll go to Tiffany. Uh, <laughs> but if they've already developed a prototype, then that's when T3 jumps on board. And we'll sit down, we'll have the initial kickoff conversation determine what the regulations say, what predicate devices have done in terms of their testing program, and then we'll put together either a study or a program of studies to determine what needs to happen next. But see, what we can do, what's interesting is in the whole kind of $1,000 days standpoint, um, when they come in with the back of the, the napkin, if I bring Andrew and his team in, and they can provide that insight as to, oh, yeah, We've seen devices like this before. We've done these kinds of st studies before. We know FDA is looking for this. We know it's going to take, you know, this many subjects. It's going to take this long and about this much. And so if we can do that on the front end, it helps it go streamline all the way down to these guys. And then it reverses. Uh, oftentimes somebody comes in with the widget and, you know, after some preliminary tests, we can see that some improvements are needed. So T3 Labs can, and we have engineers on staff. Uh, that have seen a lot of other devices because we work with hundreds of companies and we can say, you know, have you thought about using a different material or a different approach? And we'll send it back to GCMI or uh, send it back to their own company and say, go back to square one or maybe square two. Um, sometimes it's go back to square zero. And if we're talking about thousand dollar days, mm -hmm. we're saying, why don't you preserve your capital and pursue a new idea? Why don't you go a different direction? Because this just is going to make it. You're going to burn through whatever you've acquired in, in, you know, your sales effort to raise investment. I know that listeners are actually hearing this and actually now putting the concept of what a clinical trial, especially early on, is and the fact that rodents and cows and monkeys might be involved here. So, I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of listeners that have an aunt that is has cancer and is complaining about the fact that 
first of all, clinical trials are hard to get into and the drugs take so long to get developed. And so kind of, you know, we're talking about medical devices. Mm -hmm. And so concept, like explain, set the scene for those listeners on what exactly when they walk into your building, what do they see and what are they looking at? And why do, why do we have to do that as opposed to just talk more about it? Yeah. Uh, so when, when you approach our building, it's sort of nondescript and I think for, for good reason, but it used to be a bonded warehouse. So it looks like a giant bunker. Uh, but what that afforded us the opportunity to do was basic, it was an open floor plan where we could design the facility, the facility based on workflow. And the workflow is very uh, regimented and it's called good laboratory practice. It's a, it's a compliance requirement by the FDA to say, uh, if you're going to run this study, you need to do it in a facility that can generate documentable data that in five years time when this product's approved, if there are questions, we can go back and recreate the study as if it were happening yesterday on the basis of the available data. So our facility needed to be designed in that way. Mm -hmm. And so when you walk into the front door, it's like the lobby of this building, uh, but you'll, you'll step down a long hallway and there's a series of operating rooms and conference rooms. And that's where uh, we and our customers and collaborators, GCMI consultants, whoever, get together in a room and we'll sit down, we'll have the conversation, build a plan. Once our plan's ready to fire, we'll develop a, a study protocol to say this is here are the steps that we need to execute to get you your data package to eventually send you to, with that data package to the FDA. And once we have that protocol, we'll go into one of the four operating rooms and take their test article, their prototype, and, and implant that either in an acute setting uh, over a period of hours or uh, implant it for a number of years in the operating room and then we walk away so it looks just like a a, a clinical or like you've seen gray's anatomy right and so uh, how's it determined that it's you know uh, rodent versus cow versus you know chicken right uh so our operating rooms um the, the, it looks just like gray's anatomy except for the the subject on the, the table. doctors are that good looking the, the doctors are <laughs> some of them are mixed steamy but <laughs> low light he's, he's dead you're not yeah. right yeah. mixed oh, dream- and can we call it mixed steamy <laughs> and mcdreamy please <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so some are good looking, but usually I have masks. It's hard to tell. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but what determines the test system is uh, is really what's required. So we try to use the least sentient species. Um, but and, it, and translate that if I were in third grade. Uh, so sometimes, <laughs> if uh, you know, if you've got a device that can be implanted in a rat, uh, you can get away with the rat and use the rat. Uh, There's but, a metaphor there yeah. for life, isn't there? Uh, <laughs> but, I'm sorry. Does it depend sometime on the on the actual implant, though? So. Yeah. So, uh, so in the case of drugs, usually uh, you have to do one rodent, one non-rodent species, right? Uh, in the case of devices, it depends on scale, and it depends on what you're working with. So if you're working with a heart pump that needs to pump so many liters of blood over a period of time, you're not going to get it. You don't have enough rat <laughs> enough rat blood to to really set that device through its paces if we're pumping liters of blood. So you have to work with the human equivalent. So in our operating rooms, everything looks the same except for the mammal on the table. And for heart pumps, if you're having to pump uh, you know, a significant amount of blood, we'll use a calf. Uh, the cardiovascular system of a pig is uh, roughly equivalent uh, to, to a human system. So it really depends on the type of device. Orthopedics, sheep are often used because they have long bones with similar bone structure to humans. So it depends on the device. It depends on what the FDA says you need to use. Uh, so there are a lot of factors that go into it. Um, in some cases, we can use human cadavers. We don't even need to use 
Uh, and, and I'm curious about that. How? Yeah. How, how do, do you pump blood through a human cadaver? Uh, and what are we, what are we getting from the cadaver? Well, the human cadaver, you wouldn't use the, for testing a heart pump. So, uh, <laughs> but in some cases, you need to use the human's an anatomy. Uh, so, if it's a stent implant, if it's something that uh, you're looking for proper placement in the human anatomy, then you would use a human cadaver. Um, in a lot of cases, 20% of our business is physician training. We see 2,000 physicians a year coming through our facility to either learn how to use the device prior to market launch or after market launch to help uh, sales uptake. A physician will come in and use human cadavers to figure out how to use it uh, before they actually go into the clinic. Uh, and in some cases, it's used for voice of the customer. So if uh, somebody's got a prototype and they're wondering, okay, how do I place this device? It's unique, something I haven't seen before, then that's where a human donor can, can come into play. Interesting. I, this is uh, this would make a great show on yeah. its own. Seriously, actually, because it, I, I think having some ability to see what we're talking about would be would be useful. Yeah, and so like I said, working with medical devices, you're working at scale. You're working with the physical thing. You, in the case of drugs, you can lower the dose and get away with a fraction of what you need to determine whether or not it's safe or effective, if it's toxic or or what have you. But with devices, you have to work. If you've got a if you've got a 22 millimeter uh, human vessel that you're intending to implant it in, you have to build a 22 millimeter device. And to that test that, you, test have to, yeah, you have to find a vessel that's 22 millimeters. So, so that's where, how do you make money? Uh, so we, we're a fee-for-service contract provider. So uh, we'll come in, uh, enter into a master service agreement with our sponsors, and they pay by the drink. Um, in some cases, we do do programmatic agreements where we'll uh, provide a series of studies for a certain dollar amount. So that's more of a management agreement. And we have in the past talked about equity positions where we'll do a form of risk sharing, where uh, if their product's successful because of the quality of the work that we've done, we'll take stock. But uh, we haven't quite approached that. But for now, it's just fee-for-service, straight contract. We don't uh, take any IP like GCMI. Uh, we leave that to the company. We're you know 501c3 nonprofit trying to impact patient care by helping our companies generate shareholder value by giving them the data they need mm -hmm. to get products approved. The goal it, is to generate enough revenue to keep the lights on and still keep yeah. operating this, these assets for the community. Well, it sounds like, based on what we're talking about here, that we've begun to assemble the, the types of team players that we need. It's a multi-specialty approach to get this done, obviously, in the device space. And so it sounds like between the various relationships that you have with like GRA and Georgia Tech and all these sources of talent, for example, that you have some of those pieces. So what do you need to, to yeah, be missing? competing with those? We mentioned some other metropolitan sure. areas that people kind of think of when they're trying to do this. Yeah. How do you get Atlanta investors. to be the place? We need more investors. On what level? To invest in it, you or to invest it, in the companies? To invest in the companies. Yeah. And to invest in the technologies to bring them forward. That's, I mean, it's it's getting better, I think. But I mean, at one point you did say there's a lot of money here in Atlanta. There's yeah. a lot of money here in Atlanta, just not investing in medical devices. Yeah, so you had asked earlier about, you know, what are the what are the attributes of Atlanta that make it, you know, ripe for becoming uh, a med tech heavy medical device hub? Um, and I think it starts with the university system, some mm -hmm. talent. And then also investment into some of these ideas that the talent generates, some of the solutions that they're coming up with. And so it's that early stage where, especially with the economy crashing in 2008, 
investors are saying, well, I'm going to preserve capital. I'm not going to do any R&D. I'm just going to want to wait this thing out. But what we've seen just in the in the first two quarters of, of this year, uh, there was a doubling of uh, of investment in medical devices from the first quarter to the second quarter. So you're starting to see some of the capital be released because they need to innovate to generate they need to innovate to generate shareholder value, and to do that they need to find the bright idea. So somebody kind of needs to invest in the idea, and the idea needs to come from the talent. So the 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 thing about Atlanta is that there's there's you know Georgia Tech with all the biomedical mm-hmm. engineers. Emory with the clinicians, you've got UGA on the west end of things, on the east end of things, um, and then many other universities. So you've got that university system where the talent's here. Uh, heretofore, they've been, they call it the brain drain. They've been leaving Atlanta to go to the Bay Area, Minneapolis, Boston, uh, if they're in medical devices. But if there's investment and if there's talent, uh, the cost of operations in Atlanta is lower. And if uh, GRA continues to fund things, then you get sort of a self-sustaining system where we've got some of the examples of success. If you have a critical mass of that, then people don't leave, the ideas keep coming, the investment keeps coming, and you start to see some of the major players in the industry actually investing uh, to keep their companies here because they have ready access to talent. Yeah, I mean, we've got all the assets and infrastructure now from the investment from the federal government, from the state government, from Emory and Georgia Tech. the ability, all the assets and infrastructure to go from an idea to first in man study, I think faster than anybody else in the country. And, you know, at this point, it's lining up the right people and the right contracts and workflow. And that's what Andrew and I've been working this year on kind of outline. That's a really exciting time, I think, you know, and so if we can layer, if we can prove that efficiency through that process and see continued successes like Matrix and Infant and some of these other things, uh, you know, I think we'll in, we'll attract the investment. We'll get people engaged in this community. It, it's um, really about reducing friction risk, to, to risk. get to to get to better patient care. And it's interesting yeah. that you uh, the private equity market hasn't. I mean, you're not working with them at all. That is really interesting to me. It's too early. What we do is too early. I see. But you're starting to see more uh, more private equity get back into the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot be- of them will write smaller checks. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, we just need to see more. uh, We need to pull more through this ecosystem over the next, I think, 12 to 18 months. And and we'll get there. We're definitely it's headed in the right direction. You're starting to see more direct investment because the larger manufacturers are starting to hurt. They're having a demand for innovation. They're trying to outcompete each other. So if they're going to grow, they need more product to sell. And if they're going to find more product to sell, somebody's got to create that. And so that's where the opportunity is for the guy in the garage, uh, the you know the the private and equity investor. There's a there's a five x exit there now. All right. And do you have competition in what you're doing? We do. It's limited, but it seems like for every med tech medical device hub, there's a preclinical testing facility. There's a place to build widgets. And so the Bay Area has two or three labs. Minneapolis has one, and Boston has one. Uh, otherwise, it's at the university setting. So for what we do at T3 Labs, uh, GLP, uh, FDA-regulated testing, it's a handful. So there aren't a lot of substitutes. The barrier entry is pretty high. I mean, it's not every day that somebody pumps in $20 million to build a facility like ours. <laughs> right. But it's it's a necessity. And we are a global company in the sense that we have companies from Australia, Japan, uh, a lot of companies coming from Israel, uh, India, and, and Ireland 
because those areas are making investments in the STEM programs and investments into uh, med tech, specifically medical devices. And then we're seeing uh, companies come from, you know, the major hubs in, in the Bay Area, uh, Minneapolis and Boston. So uh, we're a global company. Uh, we work with many, many companies nationally, and it's, it's, uh, it's an opportunity that we enjoy working with every day. We have hundreds of companies. We've helped uh, bring 50 products to market for our sponsors over the past three years. And uh, that's in many, many therapeutic areas, cardiovascular. We talked about orthopedics, gastrointerventional work. So it covers the spectrum. Well, so, obviously, you've got a book of business that you've developed, and you have plenty to show that you can do what we're talking about here. And going back to your comment that it's comparatively to some of these other markets that we're trying to compete with to establish Atlanta as one of these spaces for innovation, outside of cost of operation, are there other factors that one of those, some of those investors that we're trying to draw here to put some of their focus here that they need to know? These are some reasons why they need to focus here. Yeah, Hartsfield Atlanta helps. Uh, you can get in and get out real easily. Other facilities, it takes an hour to get from the airport and you're driving through three feet of snow. So with the exception of the couple of snowpocalypses we had, we're good with the weather. Uh, so the logistics are easy. Uh, the preponderance of uh, resources that is growing, so between GCMI, T3 Labs, as well as other consultants that we work with on a regular basis, the pieces are there. Uh, so you have the elements to support a, a long-term uh, program. I mean, these are things that don't happen in a day. Uh, for medical devices, it's two to five years and tens of millions of dollars. For drugs, it's even more. It's, you know, 10 years and a billion dollars. So you have to have a dedicated team that knows how to work together. Tiffany mentioned tearing down stylos. And uh, the, the, the better that we can work together in the, you know, metro Atlanta area to deliver value to customers, the, the more likely it is to happen here. We um we always like to ask. I mean, I asked Tiff as far as like, what's a nice guy like you? I mean, did you grow up wanting to do what you're doing? Because we have a lot of students that listen. Mm -hmm. So especially if they're majoring in biomedical engineering, uh, what's your background and how does a guy end up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, Tiffany uh, started out on the business end of things. I actually started out in the science end of things. Um, I was was always interested as a kid uh, figuring out how things work. Um, and then uh, seventh grade, I did my uh, Science project, I got third place in the science fair, but it was a simple electrical circuit. So then I thought I'd need to step it up. And in eighth grade, I won with a project called Pond Water to Pure Water. And that's what got me going. Um, I wanted to, for whatever reason, be an orthopedic surgeon. And I pursued that opportunity all the way through a couple years working at University of Penn and getting into med school. But after six months in med school and sitting there and doing more memorization after a bachelor's in chemistry, I was done. I was like, you know, I can get paid much more than I will ever make working in industry uh, than I will, you know, grinding it away for the next 10 to 15 years, um, especially having to pay my own medical school loans. So I was one of uh, my group of friends that decided to pursue so goodbye, business. Goodbye, McSteamy, right? Well, goodbye, McSteamy. <laughs> you know, I don't know about my looks, but uh, um, but I, I gave up on that dream. But what I really found out I was interested in and working two years at the University of Pennsylvania, I was really interested in the process of science, so the business of science, more than I was actually delivering the healthcare. And so I went to work uh, for two or three pharmaceutical companies, starting out at the bench in the lab as a chemist working my way up through project management and then eventually corporate development. Uh, worked with the local company, Solvay Pharmaceuticals, which was purchased by Abbott back in 2008 or 2009. Uh, worked with the local startup company after that. 
Uh, and uh, my wife basically said, you know, if you want to have a family, you kind of got to be at home. Um, this, you know, corporate development stuff's not going to cut it. <laughs> and so after, after 2008, after the startup failed for lack of funding, I uh, decided to uh, go into consulting gig, did that, did that for a couple months. And then SGTR and LT3 Labs was one of my clients. And so what was really cool for me was if you're working on the, the sponsor side or the customer side, you really only get a handful of projects. You, you only get three to five things and you get tired of that. I mean, you get tired of thinking about the same thing every day, working the same project plan all the time. Uh, but at T3 Labs and at GCMI, we see things coming through the door all the time. I think Tiffany mentioned before we got started about uh, her recent trip up to DC and the cool things that she saw. We get to see that every day. We get to see hundreds of devices and that's really cool. It's really exciting to see what people have dreamed up and then you try to hook up with their dream and actually make that come true by providing, you know, sort of being the fulcrum to the very long lever that uh, medical device development is. It's a perfect position for someone with ADD. That's right. <laughs> we'll talk about where folks can go to get information about T3. Yeah, so T3 Labs, you can go to www.t3labs.org. And, and how about GCMI? We're also on LinkedIn and Twitter, so you can find those accounts as well. Devices.net. Okay. And if you are checking out the podcast for the show and you've not done so already, you'll see the in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store. You can link up with the Health Connect South Radio Show podcast. Subscribe to us, and we'll be downloaded to your device every week with a new episode. Listen to us on the way to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And turn around and share this information. Clearly, awareness is a big piece of what many of our guests that we've hosted on the show are looking for. And this is no different here. We're trying to let the investors in the community out there know that Atlanta is a place that they need to be placing some of their focus for the uh, medical device space and innovation there. So uh, to our guests, Andrew Stevenson and Tiff Wilson of GCMI and T3 Labs, we really want to say thanks so much for joining us in the studio. Thanks for having us. And uh, remember to go over to uh, healthconnectsouth.com, get registered for the upcoming event in North Carolina, November 10th. Use Radio X as your promo code. Get 20% off of your registration fee. To the folks at Sherwick Media Group, we want to say thanks so much for helping us make this part of your day today. And to everybody out there, we'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.